And that ocean is what I call divine love or non-dual love. So it's important, you know, that from the beginning, we know, we question ourselves, do we really know what love is? When you when you speak, Hamid, uh, but the, the first thing, and I had a very, very powerful sensation as you talked about it, the way I would language it is, uh, for me, where the loves come together is in in world 12 and i've tasted that love which has uh it's got all the vibrancy and all the particularity and all the fierceness of passion mm -hmm. and yet it's infinitely spacious you you think it's uh it's it's a tiger not a pussycat it's not that kind of de denatured agape that everybody tries to use now as impartial love which is just painting love beige Welcome back to the Sounds of Sand podcast presented by Science and Non-Duality. Today, we present a community gathering with our very special guests, Cynthia Borgo and A.H. Amas. Hosted by Sand co-founders Zaya and Maurizio Benazzo from a Sand community gathering from July 2023, entitled The Alchemy of Love, the Interplay Between Personal and Divine Love. All today on the Sounds of Sand podcast. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back. It's a joy to have this, our community together, and even more of a joy to have Amid and Cynthia with us. The should we introduce? My, okay, my name. My name is Maurizio Benazzo. My name is Zaya Benazzo, and we're delighted to be hosting this conversation, very special conversation with two of our beloved teachers that have yeah. been with us for many, many years through the evolution of sand. Um, yeah. They have been helping the evolution of sand. Dramatic, immensely crucial. And yeah. it's so good to see so many people logging in from yeah, the people. world. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. Should we start going? I start Let's... reading the bio, one bio, you read the other. I read the Cynthia bio, introduce Cynthia, in case some of you don't know her. Reverend Dr. Cynthia Bourgeau is an Episcopal priest, writer, and internationally known retreat leader. Cynthia Bourgeau divides her time between solitude at her coastal home in Maine and a demanding schedule traveling globally to teach and spread the recovery of the Christian contemplative path. Cynthia, she's the author of 10 books and numerous articles and courses on the Christian spiritual life. She passionately pro promotes the practical centering prayer and has worked closely with Thomas Keating, Bruno Barnhart, Richard Rohr, as well as many other contemplative teachers and masters within Christianity and other spiritual tradition. Cynthia, such a joy. I was saying, when in my 20s, trying to become a monk, I entered the, mon the, the, the monastery. After a week, they kicked me out. And if I would have met you, I would probably still be there. Mm -hmm. 
because <laughs> you, I, yeah, you present such a such a beautiful open angle of what Christianity is that touches my heart as uh, it touched me when I was a teenager. So thank you for being here. And um, yeah, Hamid, welcome and thank you so much for um, inviting this conversation. Uh, so Hamid Ali, A.H. Thomas, is the founder of Diamond Approach, a spiritual teaching that utilizes a unique kind of inquiry into realization where practice is the expression of realization. This inquiry opens up the infinite creativity of our being, transforming our lives into runaway realization, moving from one realization to further realizations. Uh, Amma's latest book is Non-Dual Love, Awakening to the Loving Nature of Reality. And that's also the, the topic of this conversation today. Mm -hmm. So we were thinking uh, to maybe begin the conversation to kind of understand or put a ground of understanding of what non-dual love is. And also, I'm not sure if Cynthia would use the expression of non-dual love. And maybe from your own inquiry, you have a different understanding uh, to what the non-dual love definition or points to. So I was just thinking to explore if the ground is common here before we assume we know what non-dual love is. How is that? Um, I would assume that the ground is common, but that the terminology basis may not be common amongst all four of us at this point, or it may. I would prefer myself to use the term something like objective love or conscious love rather than non-dual love, uh, partly because non-dual love, non-dual has become such a household word nowadays that it's almost like organic. You just put anything you want to push, you put the word non-dual in front of it, and it, it immediately looks like it's a whole new thing, like non-dual hatred, uh, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, more importantly, I think that there's a there continues to be, particularly in the West, a, a continuing uh, confusion about what non-dual means, whether it's a uh, an an attitude, an angle of perception, or a cosmic reality. And I I've come more and more to feel like. Uh, Non-dual understood in, in that latter way as a, as a cosmic or cosmogonic reality requires the conditions that we would call duality or I would call it not bipolarity because love is above all else the measure of flow between points and around points. And it's always playing off the backboard of, of uh, some sort of fixity. And I think it's been this way right since the the, the beginning of the Big Bang. And so uh, so within that, what we're talking about for non-dual is, uh, is not for me so much an original state of oneness to which we return, uh, but an alchemy or a dance between the finite and the infinite out of which something new emerges. And it's that which I would call uh, conscious or objective love which knows how to bring the, 
the color and the, the, the capacity, which we're mostly mean by non-dual, of looking through things from a lens of, of, of non-bifocal separation in our brain at an intensely particular and flowing world. So that's, that's just my use of nomenclature. How is it for you, Hamid? Well, I think that's a good thing you said. Uh, actually, the title of my book, Non-Dual Love, it came about <laughs> in discussion with the publisher, Shambhala. Yeah, As you know, those titles <laughs> yeah. is not always the choice of the author. Mm-hmm. And because this is the second book of a series about love, the first one was Love Unveiled. And uh, the second one, I was going to call it Divine Love. This book was going to call Divine Love. And Shambhala said, well, there are many books called Divine Love. We can't use that. I said, how about Universal Love? I said, well, it's used up love. So finally, we decided non-dual love, because non-dual, the way I understand it, covers the sense of being boundless, infinite, objective and uh, and also uh, thought that way i could bring in to non-duality love because most people when they talk about non-dual they don't talk about love so really non-dual love is there are many ways of experiencing love like in my first book love unveiled to talk about what is the nature of love what is love that is unveiled, that is not just an expression or uh, an action, uh, not the effects of love on us, how we live our life, but love in its beingness, the ontology of love. That was that what the book about, and different kinds of love, you know, the melting kind of love, the appreciative kind of love, you know, the passionate, ecstatic kind of love. And but in this book was supposed to be about love that is, these are particular diff- different kind of flavors of love that can be experienced in their beingness, their ontology, and their factors in, in our life, in our relationship to either to the world or people or the divine in a different way. You can feel love with the divine, you want a union, you want feel, or you feel passionately in love with the divine. It's two different kinds of love. And actually, in my experience, they have a different texture, different kind of sweetness, different, uh, you know, different phen- phenomenology. But divine love is the ground of love as a whole, when love appears as uh, a ground of all of reality. It, which is the source of all kinds of love. So divine love is like the heart of God. The heart of God is not just one person love. It is the love that creates the universe and the love that makes everything happen. So divine love is the universe and it's non-dual because if we, if we experience that way of, of knowing love as infinite divine unbounded, boundless, then it, the experience becomes non-dual because nothing is separate from everything else because everything is an expression of love. 
And that's what real, the original meaning of non-dual is, is that nothing is separate from anything else. There's no self and object that's separate thing. There's no one object separate. They're all expression of the same thing, the same reality. So this love, uh, this book about the, uh, non-dual love is to show that Love underlies all of our experience and underlies all of reality. And, not, and I wanted to interject in spiritual discourse that the, the beingness or spiritual nature that is the nature of everything is not just awareness and consciousness, but also can be experienced as pure love, pure goodness, pure generosity, pure tenderness, pure sweetness, luminous art that has no bounds. So bringing to uh, first and understand the non-duality, what does mean? Because I agree with you, Cynthia, that the word non-dual now be used by everybody to mean everything. Basically, people use non-dual to mean spiritual. When they say non-dual teacher, that means no yeah. <laughs> spiritual teacher. They call non-dual. But non-dual is a specific way of experiencing spirituality, which is experiencing the unity and the oneness of reality, which is, you know, not an easy place for many people to experience and to, to know. And it's not the only way of experiencing spirituality, but it's a particular way where the ground is usually seen as consciousness awareness. And I'm saying, hey, wait a minute, guys. I also experience as pure love, as a pure goodness. It is conscious love. It is it's objective in the sense is not produced by a person, is not dependent on our mind or history or reaction or uh, what happened in our life. It is its own thing. But that's true about love, even when it is not dual. Like in my first book, uh, it's not no, you could experience personally, one person, you could experience it toward the divine or toward the individual as a personal experience. This one, it goes beyond the personal, although it's always expressed through persons. You know, that's another thing about non-duality. The non-dual you know, tradition tend to eliminate the person or the individual. I'm saying no, the person is, the divine needs the person to for the divine to express its uh, treasures. So that's where the term non-dual love came from. And my, which precede my next book, third one, which is going to be called The Inner Beloved, which is divine in itself.
You, you said something at the beginning, Cynthia, and I wonder how that connects to what Hamid is saying, that um, love is experienced between two points. Did I hear you the yeah, correct? The flow, the flow. The flow of love is always between two points. Yeah, or, or yeah, that it, it takes... It takes flow to manifest anything, and uh, and so so flow is first of all a, a condition of you know it's we use it like an abstract noun like this is love like this is this is this is my cell phone this is love, it isn't like that. Love is first and foremost the sign of 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 movement, and I actually found that I stumbled over that oh thirty forty years ago. Uh, when my my teacher and dear friend Rafe just sort of casually tossed into my lap one holy week uh, the some of the core essays in the spirituality and practice series by Jacob Burma, and Burma asked a question. Of course, he's this 16th century unlettered German uh, cobbler, shoemaker, uh, mystic, and who at one extraordinary point in his life, the heavens open, and he says, and I knew more in 15 minutes than if I'd been for many years at a university. Cosmic revelation download. But the one thing he saw very clearly was that uh, that that in order for love to manifest into the world, in order for anything to manifest, uh, the divine steady state, if you want to call it, uh, ineffable, utterly transcendent, you know, sometimes in nuclear physics today, we might call it cosmic inflation, that steady state unmanifest has to bring itself into form and separability uh, in order to be able to create a manifest world at all. And this is brilliant. I'd never read about that anywhere before, but it went, aha, this is right. And so the first step before we have any kind of outward anything at all is that a change, a sort of change in the divine nature. Uh, and the how the divine does this is interesting, and it bears for me the absolute tie rod connection between all these various kinds of love that, that Hamid has so beautifully uh, just laid out for us. But in order to, to move from a steady state unpartiality, unmanifest, and, and, and in some sort of homostasis and unmanifestness, the divine has to start something moving. It has to constrict something. Uh, and the only thing that's available to constrict is the divine will. So by putting it under pressure in a way that's really kind of like a mystical equivalent of Bernoulli's principle, the divine creates flow. Impartiality is turned to desiring and craving. And since there's nothing yet for the craving to slake itself on, it gets anguished. And out of this anguish, more and more tension kind of mounts until finally there's a spark of something that emerges out of it. Uh, and that creates uh, the threefold conditions in which outer manifestation can happen. Burma claims that that's what's really meant by the Trinity. You know, the Trinity is God in having moved from the state of infinite transcendence into permanent relationship and creativity. Uh, the reason is why, and Burma just says, well, it's, he called it the sciencia, the, the secret knowledge at the heart of everything. 
But I believe more and more that that secret knowledge for which the world exists is love. Because love cannot, you know, the, the love is incompatible with steady state transcendence. Love is a dance. Love is a flow. Love is what happens when, when transcendence is somehow alchemized and turned into this pure elixir of sweetness that Hamid speaks about. And that, that is the secret, the yearning at the heart of the divine that caused a whole manifest world to come into being. So I think that speaks to the question of why I, why I resonate to the term flow. And it also speaks to me to the question why uh, love understood is what everything we would call non-dual nowadays, constriction, desiring, passion, yearning, uh, you know, <laughs> the sucking motion. Uh, is joined at the hip, is intertwined with uh, the free giving. And you can't end run that because they are intertwined. And uh, the common mistake that people make that think that, well, I'll just, I'll just deny all this craving, I'll just deny all this desiring, are, are going against the very process by, by which love is emerges through the transformation of craving and desiring into something else, not through any kind of repression, denial, or uh, or premature stepping around it. So long, long uh, answer to a short question, but I hope it's uh, I hope it gives Hamid some good things to springboard off. You have quite a way with words, Cynthia. Beautiful <laughs> articulation. Hamid, do you have anything to um, reflect or about share? flow? Well, you know, love is is always a flow, and uh, the flow is important for manifestation, as Cynthia mentioned, because my experience of it, my knowing of it, is that from the repose of the fundamental nature, whether we call it divine or true nature, there comes a creative force that is an outflow, an effulgence that brings about everything, all creation, which then, but and that outflow, you know, many teachings think of it like uh, Zakchan, think of it as energy or manifestation and, uh, you know, there are all, all kinds of uh, ways of looking at it, but many uh, teach, teaching and tell you so that the, the primary force in this outflow is love, that God loved to know what God is. So manifested everything. So they manifested out of love. And, and the love is both the nature of God and also the, the God's desire, loving desire, to reveal all the treasure that God is, because God can't really know God's uh, nature without manifesting it, a manifesting being through which God can then perceive and experience and express this, this goodness. So it's both the creation of the world and also the flow that happened in the human heart 
that can bring people together and that makes human human actually without love a human being is not a human it's still a brute so love is what humanizes it's what makes us truly human something that these days is becoming less present actually unfortunately yeah. but uh, love is what makes us be good what makes us be love truth and make us love love reality and love each other see the preciousness of things and it is and when we feel love it is always felt and flow it's not static you know many states of being like stillness you know Ramana Mahari talk about peaceful stillness. You know, there's no movement there. It's just still. And it is true. It is wonderful and ecstatic. Um, the absiety or the, you know, uh, called Brahman or Shiva. And it is complete liberation. However, human beings, human life, has to do with change and interchange and interaction and flow and action. And all of that is moved really ultimately by love through the heart. And, you know, why do people want to be happy? Why do people want all what they want? All of it really has to do with the heart that moves. So we, we need our mind to understand but we need our hearts for the mind to want to understand. <laughs> yeah. I loved how you mentioned that, uh, Hamid, alluding to that wonderful quote from the, I think, the Hadith Pridze, that God says, I was a hidden treasure. Mm. And uh, and it sometimes says, and I long to be known. Uh, I, I always love it when it says, I was a human, I was a hidden treasure, and I loved to be known. Uh, and so I created the world's manifest and unmanifest because loving is also the only process by which love can be known. Uh, you know, you, you, you bring it into existence by doing it, by flowing it, by living it. Uh, and God, God reveals God's self in the process of loving creativity into existence. And it's that, uh, it's why love is so also inextricably joined at the at the hip with creativity uh with procreativity on in all worlds and on all dimensions uh it's about creating it's about growing something where it didn't exist before and and i i think that what you just said about the one of my greatest concerns in the world that i've seen that we're heading toward is the the drying up of this energy yeah. as people become more and more cautious, more and more isolated, more and more entitled, I guess, more and more disembodied uh, that, that it, it seems like love brings sentiency, you know, and that, that it's exactly this sentiency that is beginning to, uh, you know, disappear from the life of this planet and from our religions and from our uh, our transactions with each other. And uh, I don't know how how we're going to to work with that one in the time we talk together, but it's 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 good to know that it's in the backdrop of both of our hearts. Yeah, I mean human beings have their hearts 
their way. I mean, that's our salvation, really. You know, so when there's enmity and discord, and that's what rules the day, we're in trouble. Yeah. But I, I think also the thing that you mentioned, um, Cynthia, about love and, uh, and, uh, and relationship, because love appears mostly in relationship and relating to something or somebody or the divine. That when you really experience, if you love somebody, if you love someone, you want to be close to them. You want to be as close as possible because you like them, you want them, you want to be close, you want to feel, you know. Yeah. So love inherently. So when God, when God said, I created the world to, so I'll be known. Well, how is God going to be known? By union with God. Yeah, by us feeling the love and feeling like, like my whole path is based on love. Loving the truth for its own sake and the truth ultimately is the divine. And because this love takes us even in the human realm, when we love somebody, we want to be with them. We want to see them. We want to be close and and when it's more complete, more full, we become we want to be as intimate as possible, intimate emotionally, sometimes for some people is physically. And that brings in so love inherently brings about union. And it is a force of union, it is the union that is appearing as a force to manifest the union and lived experience. So the union can be with another, with nature, or with the divine. Yeah, and it, it kind of, uh, a lot of that is a contention on how much space you can bring into the union, how much spaciousness you can bring into it, because there's, there's a, there's a union that either consumes or is consumed by the object of its craving. And there's a union that allows uh, a deeper differentiation, a deeper diversification to come into being. And I know that that was, that was what got Teilhard de Chardin so excited when he was teaching about, about love. And, and at one point is, uh, is quoted with saying the structure of the universe is love. He was talking about uh, this basic evolutionary principle of, of uh, union diversifies and diversity unites so that people who are in a, in a bond of relationship at that, at that, that, highest and most spacious and one dare say non-dual level are able in a particularly realized way uh, to hold in their hearts the other's entire becoming and to create space for the other to differentiate diversity and become more whole, become themselves within the nurturing field of this dynamic bond. Uh, and it's a it's a tricky, you know, as always, there's a razor's edge. Uh, I, I've been taking considerable consolation these, these past, uh, past, uh, oh, I guess since the last time we had a conversation, Hamid, in realizing that if you take Burma seriously, there is an element of, of 
crucifixion, to use Christian language, or pain built right into the emergence of love. Because if Burma is right, you have to begin with this fundamental constriction or conflation, the, the, the desiring, which is also the source of evil if it doesn't turn around. But, uh, but then that has to transform itself, suffer itself uh, to be laid down uh, for the sake of something else so that, so that a larger and more spacious love emerges in its wake, which can hold the opposites at a new level. And I think it's at that point that relationships get stuck and life gets stuck. We, we just don't know how to navigate uh, that first step in the, in the full transcendent uh, a manifestation of love. That first step, which is <gasps> me, mine, all the time, I want, I want, and allow it to turn around in something that says, may you be well. Uh, well, I think a really very good point, you know, Cynthia, which brings me to the question. I think many of the people who are listening need to find, know for themselves, which is the question, what is love? Because what most people call love is not the love you're talking about, yeah. not the love that liberates. What most people call love is an emotional thing, it's an emotion. And it's more akin to desire, and uh, wanting and possessiveness. And it's true, you love somebody and you like them and all of that. But that emotion is the way I see it. Most people, what they think love is, is an emotional thing. But most people know as love is not what I call love. That is the outer, the shadow of love. And the outer expression, the outer reverberation of love, which by that by that time is distorted by history and and, and hurts and abandonment and betrayal and all of that. So and also by the self, the self-centered uh, ego. So the, what people call love most of the time is, you know, I love my friend, I love my wife, I love my kids. And all that is sort of true, but uh, the love I'm talking about is the actual syrup that flows from God's heart. The syrup that liberate, the sweet syrup of goodness. So you could experience it in its beingness and its, uh, uh, its, its, its fullness as a substantiality that is a glowing and giving and dynamic substantiality. When I, when I say substantiality, I mean, you don't just feel an energy or an emotion. You feel something filling your heart, filling your soul, filling it to the brim, filling it with something that is nourishing. Like you're almost, you're full of nourishment. You're full of, uh, uh, yeah, almost like full of custard of sort. And so, but it is uh, this custom made out of light and has a, a goodness. So we need to know what love is, you know, and not deceive ourselves that we know love because we love somebody. Yeah. When we love somebody, we might yet not know where this loving somebody comes from. It comes from the essence of love, which for us to know love, we need to know the essence of love. 
which is the beingness of love, the ontology of love, which is God's love, the divine love is something that is, that is true, that is objective, is not produced by the past, not produced by a relationship, not because somebody's good to me and I, you know, they're beautiful and I love them. It's produced by something naturally giving the true love. First of all, it is a beingness, is a, is a, uh, a medium of fullness and richness that has a texture, that has a taste, that has a, uh, an aroma, like appreciative love. For instance, the appreciative love, say, I like somebody. When you go to the essence of it, it's beautiful, pink, fluffy, like a fluffy pink rose. And it smells like roses. When you go to passionate love, it's deep pomegranate uh, color and pomegranate flavor. And it is like a pomegranate syrup. And so when I talk about love, I'm talking about the, the ontological dimension of love, which means the truth of love as it is, as is emanates from the divine source, not the outer expression, which is saying something or doing something that is loving. All these are good, but that's, these are not love. These are the outer expression. And if love, the true love is there, then the expression will naturally be giving, not self-centered, will bring in union with space, which will be called the, the, if the love, true love is there, we love somebody, we, we want what's good for them. We love them because we want to know them as much for what they are as possible. We want to know them in their uniqueness and their preciousness and we want what's good for them. We love them not because we want something from them, but we want to give something to them. And, then, and there is a mutual love, then an exchange of giving, really, which expands the love, which brings, which the syrup becomes a puddle, the puddle becomes a lake, and the lake becomes an ocean. And that ocean is what I call divine love or non-dual love. So it's important you know, that from the beginning, we know, we question ourselves, do we really know what love is? When you, when you speak, Hamid, uh, but the, the first thing, and I had a very, very powerful sensation as you talked about it, the way I would language it is, uh, for me, where the loves come together is in, in world 12. And I've tasted that love, which has, uh, it's got all the vibrancy and all the particularity and all the fierceness of passion. Mm -hmm. And yet it's infinitely spacious. You, you think it's, uh, it's, it's a tiger, not a pussycat. It's not that kind of de denatured agape that everybody tries to use now as impartial love, which is just painting love beige. Uh, but it has <laughs> flavor. But, the the reason I wanted to speak with it, and I th I think I have to I think I have to speak a little bit autobiographically at this point because uh, the the problem continues to re remain how you get from here to there, 
And and it isn't either or like everybody likes to do. There's divine love. There's there's human love. You know, some some Swedish fellow years ago named Andres Nigren wrote a book that influenced Christianity called Agape and Eros or Eros and Agape, calling one God's way to God's way to man and the other man's way to God. It's one of these patently destructive cliches in my estimate, because what's really interesting is the journey between them. And I would say that that agape, as we experienced now, that world 12, you know, that perfection of the, the intensity, the, 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 the passion, the specificness of the what we usually call craving, but totally free, uh, is found through a process of transformation inside. And I I found it and I owe everything in my life to it, to my, my teacher and beloved Rafe, who, uh, who taught me, who taught me it as he was learning it himself. And it, it's a law of three kind of setup. And I think they all are in this transformation that the, the positive force, the, the pushing force is initially that, that erotic attraction, that craving, that, that realism realizing there's a simpatico here this person i want to get to know this person there's a there's a kinship here uh there's a and in a way you know it's just projection writ large because at that stage you're not seeing the other you're only seeing yourself being made happy but still it's not everybody that we feel that great desire and that great sort of sense that you know we could be inside each other. Uh, and I'm talking spiritually here. I'm talking, you know, however you want to talk it. We could be inter-abiding friends. To know that about any human being is a rare gift and not to be taken lightly. But then wholly denying, you know, because that's erotic love attracts its opposite. And what bangs up against it is, of course, all that stuff, your projections, your neuroses, your, your fears, your insistences, your self-image, all that untransformed stuff, and boom, boom, boom. So what normally happens is that nothing, eventually, the force of the negativity knocks the fire out of that beautiful intimacy that you once tasted. Uh, unless something emerges to to transform, some third force. And in the relationship with Rafe and what made it so instructive for me is that emerged. And what what it was, you can you can put any kind of language around it, but really what it was uh, the spiritual path, the search for truth, the the recognition that there uh, there needed to be a transformation. That 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 things can only finally accord uh, physically. They can only grow to this new level if that if that love, if that initial eros is tempered and transformed in the deep kenosis, as they call it in Christianity. That that willingness to make space, to let go, uh, in honesty, to look at your own stuff in as much as it's hurting the beloved. Uh, to confess, uh, to repent. Uh, in other words, to be willing to transform the facade of yourself as you thought yourself was, melt it altogether and not do it because you're saying, oh, my beloved is so beautiful, but because you realize that that's the responsibility that has been opened up to you in this terrible, terribly wondrous foretaste of of world 12 of fully realized particular 
personal love. And uh, so it was the mutual work on ourselves that let us get second wind. You know, we'd bang into each other and do all the usual kind of accusing and getting our noses out of joint and schlunking off in an umbrage. And we'd go home and think about it and realize the mistake. Uh, and there was enough self inner inner observation and capacity to be inside your more subtle body to realize that you just knocked the whole thing out of line and 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 demoted yourself to much coarser expressions of things so it's the it's the struggle to uh to realize this love at a higher level that actually i think uh you know paying the price of what costs to do so that really transforms that initial kind of uh, free boost you get from from the initial attraction into something sacred and holy, uh, safe and flowing, transfigured. It's the transfiguration of the particular, not the denial of it or repression of it or elimination of it. bringing the transformation, inner transformation that is necessary to discover really what true love is because most of us don't live in that level and need uh, a deep and intense transformation uh, as you said of what we are our experience in general and that happens through contending with what we experience not rejecting it, but uh, really understanding it, welcoming it, and delving into it without uh, identifying with it. So that is part of the process of the transformation. So the spiritual path is basically a process of transformation of our experience from its uh, more surface kind of uh, uh, physical object orientation to coming from an inner nature that we recognize as more like as a source and the meaning of, that gives our life meaning. So um, just like any fundamental truth will require a transformation because uh, ordinary life doesn't really provide it much. Doesn't much. It, we need we need the. Uh, the, the inner path, the inner practice. And there are many practices, many inner paths, and but they are all transformation, uh, transforming our experience, but also transforming our consciousness, our soul, from being the more animal-oriented, desire-oriented, to more uh, human-oriented, which mean... Uh, having goodness being uh, the true goodness uh, being the driving force for our life to, uh, to uh, more subtle um, mystery oriented loving the mystery 
of, of the divine and, and which is in, in, in everybody and in, in everything. And uh, one thing I, I, know, I wanted to say about love is that, first of all, human beings all want love. Human beings, regardless whether they know love for what it is or not, human being from the beginning, they need love. From the moment we're born, we need love. We can't thrive. We can't, in fact, survive without some measure of love. Without love and care and nourishment and goodness, human being need love. And human being actually want love all the time, even though they might not know exactly what love is. But, you know, look at the literature, look at the arts, look at all of these things. How many poems, how many songs are there about awareness? <laughs> right? Compared to love. <laughs> when you think about it, I mean, human beings want love more than awareness or consciousness or enlightenment or anything like that. You know, and our literature, our arts are all oriented on love because love is really what human beings need to thrive, to develop, to be fully what we are, and to know the mystery of what we are, and the mystery of our being, and the mystery of the universe. Because love, not only an art flow that creates, but also an art flow that reveals, that illuminates. And uh, so we're talking about this so that people who are listening need to know, I want people who are listening to know that we're not talking about love so that you have a good loving relationship. We're talking about love that's true, that can help to have a good loving relationship, but it's much bigger, much deeper, much faster, more encompassing than that. It has to do with relationship to ourselves, relationship to the world, relationship to the divine, the, the meaning of life. And uh, thing is that about, uh, yeah, the thing true about love, because it is always, it is the creative force. If love is what rules any relationship, the relationship is always new. Each time we meet each other, it's the first time. That's what love makes it possible. If love is really true, then relationship is completely re dies and reborn again. I mean, if I meet somebody, I think I know them. Well, yeah, I should leave that at bay. Yes, I know them, but I don't know what they're going to be like now. I might discover something completely new, you know. So love opens us up, renews our experience of ourselves and and our relationship. So my, you know, people I love, my relationship with them are always new, and like I'm always meeting them for the first time, and and that is the spaciousness, the freshness that real love makes possible. That. People talk about love, you build a relationship, a relationship develops, and true, all that is true. However, for the relationship to truly develop, 
it needs to die and be reborn each time. Otherwise, it's a continuation of the past, which becomes then inertia, becomes a repetition of the old. And love is inherently is uh, my manifesting the world. It doesn't like it manifested and left it there. No, it continually manifests instant by instant. The same thing that love does to a relationship. It continually manifested and new each time. It's a it's a new thing. And that is so. That means when I meet somebody I love, it's like I don't know what the, what I'm going to meet. I don't know who what what I'm going to see. I don't know how I'm going to feel. If I'm already think I know what I'm going to feel, I know what I'm going to encounter. I'm already living in the past. You see, but love is the fact that it's a creative force, meaning it is bringing the now, now. Yeah, I love that the way that moves moves back. That if uh, what you're saying in a relationship that can be new any moment, and is, is that it it actually has touched into and has learned to rest in and trust in that 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 cosmogonic nature of love, the primordial. You know, it's going to be new. Uh, it and this is great, and you you have enough trust to move into the very unstructuredness of it. Uh, to allow the present to create itself. Uh, and it's a rare gift to be able to do that. But I I keep thinking that it's, it's so... It's rare, but possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rare, but possible. Yeah. And, and how, how is the real good question. Is it yeah. from inside me? Is it is it the result of my practice? Is it some sort of a, a grace that weaves through that practice? Uh, I don't think you can say that it lies in the object uh, that it's being uh, applied with because that limits it too much. But the, as we say, as we talked at the very start, if love is a flow between objects, certainly the flowingness of, of nature or the flowingness of love uh, will work through points that have presented themselves as relational points uh, to make of them what it will. Yeah. I was wondering if you can speak about pain and love. Is is pain made out of love? And is pain in our bodies, in in our collective body, in the mother earth, uh, a doorway to to the love, to the cosmic universal love you're speaking about? Is pain made out of love? Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, if love is the nature of the universe, everything is made out of love, not just pain. But pain, especially emotional pain, wounding of the heart, is very important in the path of love because all the human beings were wounded, were hurt, were abandoned, or not loved, or rejected. And, and that creates many wounds in the heart, even sometimes exploited and all of that, you know, that happens as we grow up. And that wounds the heart and closes it down. The wounding closes down the heart. And us by us uh, embracing our wounding, our hurt, our pain, and 
and understanding it, inquiring into it, and letting it reveal its story so that it evaporates and uh, and by by us contending with the wounds of the heart, the heart has the possibility to open up again for love to flow. Yeah. But if we if we block our wounding, our hurt, and not want to feel it, our heart will be closed. But and but for you see for for wounding for us to be able to experience our emotional wounds, we need the compassionate side of love the tenderness and the kindness that uh, can al allow the heart to feel trusting enough to open to the, the some of the wounds are terrible wounds, you know, and. Uh, that would bring me to a really sensitive and, and touchy topic, but I think it's one that, that needs to be said because we've, we have so much, psychological language and good languaging nowadays in our culture, uh, you know, sort of that that if a person has been wounded, if a person has been abused, and of course in the, the corner of Christianity where I come from, where there has been such widespread abuse of religion in high places, pedophilia and so on, that that the thing is that people feel like they have been damaged beyond healing. They feel like the, the heart has closed up because of these wounds that were inflicted on them innocently. And that the uh, the only ways out of that are in some sort of, uh, of restitutionary action. Uh, and, and sometimes that won't come, you know, and this is a real issue today when we realize that, that the, the substances that the planet is dying for lack of is faith, hope, and love, and that, uh, and that we are never going to find a world this point that is going to be feel safe enough, forgiving enough, and compassionate enough uh, to say, "Okay, you know, now I can relax my heart reactively." We we're going to have to learn how to open our hearts proactively not in spite of, but because of and through our deep woundings to this ever cosmogonic newness we're talking about. When we just recycle the old cliches that say, well, I was abused, I was, I was hurt, I was injured, I was abandoned, and therefore I'm damaged forever and love won't come and I can't open my heart. We've just caught ourselves in a vicious circle that doesn't yet open enough to the creative and restoring depths of love itself that does really wish to make all things new. And again, it's the how you get there that's hard, but the, the first step is to allow the possibility that it can happen. And that if you can't, if you can't, you know, if, if the only thing you can do with a world that's, that's hurt you is hold it hostage in anger there's something else you can do. And that is, and it often begins in spiritual practice, in meditation or in listening to music or in just being with people in a low-key way. To be able to taste directly that spirit that, that Hamid is talking about, that, 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 that pure love that, that still flows through the whole thing. And to say, I have access to that as a human being. This is my birthright. This is, I am part of the structure of the cosmos too. 
and it flows through me. And, and out of that strength restored in the, in the virginity and sanctity of my own heart, to forgive and be grateful proactively. And yeah. when that can begin to happen, we change, we increase the level of safety, we increase the level of softness and suppleness in the planet, and it begins to feel safer. But I really think it has to start with that last desperate act of freedom and gratitude inside a soul to claim our birthright in love, even though we don't feel like we've experienced it. We wouldn't be here if we hadn't experienced it because it is the structure of our being. Mm-hmm. That's so true, you know, Cynthia. I think you bring in a point that's important for many people to hear because uh, I think it's good that sand, for instance, is doing a lot of work on the question of trauma and uh, abuse and all that because people need it. But there's a danger there that you're pointing to, which is to take that as reality. And that's what defines us. That if we if we take the trauma to define us, I'm a traumatized person. We're you know, it's hopeless. Then we do need to de- deal with trauma. It's good we need to deal with it, but we need to know at some point that trauma is part of what happened. It's a history. And we need to go beyond that history by working through it in a spiritual way. Working through it, recognizing it, it's the imprint of the past. Imprint of the past is exactly what spirituality wanted to liberate us from. So we don't want to take that imprint to define us, to say, to continue to believe I'm a traumatized person, hence I behave this way or that way, that becomes a crutch at some point that is not useful. And so regardless how traumatized we are, one can heal and love is a big part of that healing process. And so the love can heal the, the trauma or the abuse or the pain. And But love can also not only heal, can enrich our life, can make our renew our life, make it real, make it meaningful, make it, it had, had fulfillment and gratitude and, and goodness and happiness and, you know, what love can, can bring. So love in some sense is the hope of humanity, really. If it wasn't for love, I mean, there, there won't be a point actually and having experience, you know, that's one thing I think, I think about that sometimes that when we think of the spirit, the divine or, or true nature, Buddha nature, whatever you call it, I always wonder, especially, you know, thinking of the non-dualist, the transcendent, transcendentalist, why is true nature has in it thing like compassion, like love? If it is just for itself, it doesn't need it. It can just abide. It's a mystery. There is love, there is compassion, there is tenderness, there is gratitude, because it is inherent in the ultimate that there are beings who need it who can live it, who can manifest it, who can experience it. If there was no individual beings who 
can thrive with love, there is no need for true nature to have love. True nature or divine doesn't need love for itself. You see, it is there for the being that come out. Through the, so the divine create the creates human being, the human being in, a, in such a way that uh, they grow and mature and develop to know the divine through the, the for, force of force of love the, through the uh, presence of love. So what I'm trying to say is that there is a connection between the transcendent divine and the individual human being they're two sides of the same thing and love makes sense of the fact that there are these two if it wasn't these two there's no reason for there to be love it could be just pure emptiness and that's it which, which brings us full circle back to flow again and burma and the cosmogonic moment yeah mm -hmm. I find very, very simply, you know, we've been working on workshops this past couple of years uh, that, that I call rebuilding trust, uh, where we're teaching people to uh, to take these things, these qualities that have so gone missing in our planet and are at the cause of so much uh, pain and this insentiency we talked about. You know, the world is never going to be trustworthy, and yet you can manufacture you can begin to create because we human beings are natural alchemists. We can create trust in the quality of our life uh, and manifest trust, not because, not as a statement about us, but because it's necessary. It's the planet needs it and requires it, and we have the capacity to give. Uh, long story short, I find the simplest way to begin to reassert our freedom and heal is with the very, very simple practice of gratitude. David uh, Steindl Rast, I think, was the first, uh, that great Benedictine monk many, many years ago, to call attention in our own times to the practice of gratitude. But it's so simple, and it's a freedom that one has in oneself, that whereas one spends the time counting up on scores of, you know, take your parents, for example, which everybody likes to pin the sources of their trauma on, myself included. And rather than spending the time uh, talking about all the ways that my mother screwed me up or my father failed me, uh, that if I spend even five minutes a day being consciously grat grateful to my parents, because that's what I owe them as a human being. It was through their exercise of the procreative force that I'm here at all. And simple ways of gratitude, rather than seeing the cup as half empty, you see it as half full. It's an amazing freedom you have in your soul, and it actually begins to change things quickly within you. It, it, it works for me even faster than centering prayer. It's the fastest shortcut to changing your whole relational field of your life. And gratitude is another quality of the heart, of course. It is another elixir, you see. It's another nectar of the heart, you know, that, as you said, that see that the cup half full instead of half empty. But also, gratitude means we recognizing that um, 
something is working, something is really uh, happening in a good way. And the more we see that, the more there's gratitude. So for me, the, the heart manifests gratitude when the soul recognizes the reality is working. Yeah. It's optimizing. That naturally happens. And, and gratitude is a sign that things are working out for oneself. Yeah. I'm not speaking here of, you know, trying to, to put a happy spin on things or denying or indrenning or spiritual bypassing pain. Uh, because all that just leads to bogus spiritual practice. But it, it is the recognition that we have come in our own age to, to identify ourselves by our pain and to consider our pain as the most inner and honest thing about ourselves without realizing that this is a choice and even a fashion. And, uh, and that as we choose to do something else, A, because we can, B, because our planet needs it, uh, that, that if we don't start recalling and reproducing as human beings what are called in Christianity the, the gifts of the spirit, kindness, gentleness, peace, forbearance, joy, uh, if we don't start putting these things back into the planetary atmosphere, uh, we're goners. And since since we can't do them in response to something, we have to do it because that freedom to do so is part of our own birthright in the cosmogonic God. And you just sort of gird up your lines and say, okay, I'm not worthy of it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel grateful now, but hey, you know, I am going to do this anyway because this is my post as a human being. Thank you both for this very rich and hard, warming, expanding conversation. And I hope we have another chance to continue this flow to unfold. Maybe when Cynthia, your book comes up next year, um, yeah. we can, yeah, continue the flow <laughs> of exploration. Yeah. yeah, the two of you are full of joy, so you maybe you can affect the rest with it. <laughs> I would have to say, Mauricio, that that uh, the monastery's loss was love's gain. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the sounds of sand. We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAND content, available exclusively to SAND members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings. Be well.